The scripture reading for today is taken from Psalm 46, and this will be our text today as well. Psalm 46, and you will be able to find that on page 649 of your pew Bible. You'll notice that Psalm 46 is broken up into three basic sections, the verses 1 to 3, marked by Salah, which is an instrumental moment, a, a period of reflection on the words that have come before. Verses 4 to 7, again, ending in a Salah, an instrumental period, focusing on what came before. And then the final verses, 8 to 11, closing with that same Salah. And I want to encourage you to reflect on this breakdown of the passage as we read it as well. Psalm 46 is a psalm that's written to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's a song for Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it seems that overnight, the world has turned upside down. The economy is crumbling. Stock markets around the globe are plunging. Schools have been closed for the next three weeks, four weeks. And churches across our nation are also closing their doors to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Are you worried? Do you feel anxiety in the face of this? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if you do, you wouldn't be alone in that. There are many who feel the fear that's in the air right now. 
You only have to look at our stores and the different places in which all kinds of supplies are sold to see the things flying off the shelves and know that there is a feeling of panic that's in the air. At the time of the writing of the psalm, there was also a feeling of panic that was in the air. According to tradition, this psalm was written at the time when Israel's enemies were closing in on them, around the time of Jehoshaphat. Now, whether or not we know that this is true, that's another question, but the picture that's presented here for us today is very clear, whatever the situation may have been. There's a sense of fear that's pervading the land, that's soaking into every household. This feeling of the earth being moved, mountains carried into the midst of the sea, waters roaring and being troubled, and the mountains shaking with the swelling of the ocean. In the ancient world, when they used this kind of language, they were speaking about the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, the ocean. And the picture there was one of fear, of chaos, and of uncertainty. Many times you see the same pattern carried out through Scripture where the ocean is used as a picture of fear and of uncertainty. And there's good reason for that. You would have fishermen who would get into little boats, 12, 14-foot boats, and sail off into the ocean. And then a storm would rise up and they would be swept away, never to be seen again. There were seemingly bottomless depths under the ships that went out. And when the sea began to roar and to rage, then there was fear in the air. Yet, although he recognizes this, although they recognize this, the authors of our psalm today point us to something. They say, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be moved and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. When you see the name God there, it's an understanding of the power of God. God as our almighty creator. God as the one who has all things in his hand. It's the same picture that we have in Lord's Day 9 of our Heidelberg Catechism. The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them and who still upholds them by his eternal counsel and providence. And again, in Lord's Day 10, we read here, what do you understand by the providence of God? It's his almighty and ever-present power whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. God, the name of power, the one who holds all things in his hand. God is our refuge and strength. 
God is our refuge and strength in these times of uncertainty, in these times of chaos. God. God. Why would he care? Who am I? I'm a teenager, maybe struggling with life, struggling to find my place in the world, maybe in my early 20s. Or maybe I'm a a mom who's struggling to hold the family together at this point in time. Who am I? Maybe I'm a dad whose job is uncertain or who's maybe lost his job because of something that has come along here in the form of the coronavirus or for other reasons. And it seems that I've fallen off the map. Who am I? Might feel like you seem and feel far from God right now. Well, consider who is the author of our psalm today. We look at this and we see that it's a song of the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah? The sons of Korah are men who are the descendants of a man named Korah. Korah was one of three men who led a rebellion early in Israel's history as their nation. Israel didn't always live in the land of Israel, but there was a time when they were slaves in Egypt. And God led them out of Egypt by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. He led them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. But during this time, as he led them out, during this time, men rose up to oppose Moses. They rose up in rebellion of them, against him. 250 of the religious leaders in Israel rose up with their censers full of incense and they stood in front of Moses and they challenged him. They challenged him with regards to the worship. And for this, God punished them. God destroyed them. Yet we read in Numbers 26 verse 11, Yet the sons of Korah survived. These sons of Korah are the descendants of this man who was one of the leaders of this rebellion and they would forever carry with them through the generations this name, Korah. Their forefather who had rebelled, their forefather who had risen up, they carried the stigma of this name with them. They, more than anybody, could ask, who am I that God would look at me? It's a fair question, and we see one like that brought up in one of the other Psalms earlier on in the book of Psalms. Psalm 8, verse 4, it says, Who is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would care for him? And then we get the word yet. Yet, 
You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and with honor. Yet God, those two most significant words in the Bible, here we are as mankind, yet God. And this brings us into the second part of our passage. This is where the sons of Korah want to direct our hearts. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Now, what's being talked about here? The city of Jerusalem is one of those rare cities in which you didn't have a river flowing through it. Many other cities that you would find in the ancient Near East would be built on a river so that they would be able to have something that supplied them with water during, for example, times of siege or times of trouble. But Jerusalem was built on a mountain. Jerusalem did not have one of these natural rivers flowing through it. So what is this river that they're speaking of? There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. To understand what they're talking about, we need to look at the second thing that they mention here, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. It's referring to the temple, the tabernacle and the temple that's seated in the middle of the city. There is a river flowing from this tabernacle, this place of worship. In the time of the sacrifices in the tabernacle and later on the temple as it was set up there, they had carved channels that went away from the altar that was raised up there at the center. The reason for these channels would be to carry away the blood of the animal sacrifices during these times of worship, during special feast days. We only have to think, for example, of the time when the temple itself was instituted in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 5. We read there that King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. All of the blood from those sacrifices has to go somewhere. It would be running down the channels from the temple mount. The people who were gathered there together could see the river. There is a river. Why would this be a reason for joy? Why would these streams make glad the city of God? Well, think again, the sons of Korah who bear the weight of all this stigma, who stand where they do. They are reminding the people of God that these sacrifices were a gift that were given by God. They were a gift that were given by God in order to bridge the gap, a gift that pointed to something much greater coming along. 
It, would, it was a constant reminder of the fact that though mankind was broken and sinful and fallen, and though mankind carried the weight of sin on their shoulders, that God had made a way, that God had redeemed his people, that God had cleansed his people, that God had claimed his people as their own. The sacrifices were a reminder, a constant reminder to the people that I should be there. I have sinned. I have rebelled against the Most High God. I should be the one lying on that altar. It should be my lifeblood draining away for what I have done, rebelling against the most holy, perfect, righteous, and pure God because the wages of sin is death. Yet God has made a way. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God has made a way that he can dwell in the midst of his people so that his people can come to him and so that they're not struck down right away by his presence. No, he lives among them. God is with them. Emmanuel. And because God has cleared the way and God dwells in the midst of them, God shall help her just at the break of dawn. At the darkest time of his people's lives, God shall help her. At their time of greatest need, God will be there. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, the nation of Israel would be unsettled because these enemy armies were coming against them, and yet the Lord utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. And here each of the Israelites could be reminded again of the fact that this is not just for others, but this is for me. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. God has created a way for his people to live in communion with him. God has made this possible. And above that, he has laid claim to these people with that name, Lord, Yahweh. This is the name of covenant, the name of promise that he has given to his people. For each of those people in Israel, they could look on that name, Lord, in capital letters, that name which translates to Yahweh, and they could recognize, I am a child of the promise. I am a child of the covenant. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of power is with us. Yes, but look at me. Who am I? Who am I that God would look on me and that God would give me this great gift? Who am I? The God of Jacob is our refuge. The name for the founder of the nation of Israel was Israel. When people thought back on the name of Israel, they thought back on the name of their, their forefather, the one through whom God had founded this nation. They would think of one, a, a patriarch. They would think of a man who had it all together. They would think of a man who was in control. But here they're being reminded again. The sons of Korah are pointing the eyes of the people again to 
who he was. He is the God of Israel, yes, but he was the God of Jacob before he was the God of Israel. Jacob, the the broken and sinful man, Jacob whose name means deceiver, heel grabber, who lived up to that name, who lived up to that reputation. It was God who laid hold of this man and God who transformed this man and God who lays claim of those who are broken and those who are contrite and those whom he has claimed for himself and who he brings to himself. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is not just true for others, but it's also true for me. Come and behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. Come and behold the works of the Lord. Notice again they use the covenant name of Lord there, the name of relationship, the name that ties us to him. Come and behold the works of the Lord. Because these works of the Lord, he is a God of power. He is a God of immense power. But these works of the Lord are not aimed against us in all of our brokenness and in all of our sin. But the Lord has laid claim to his people. He's fiercely protective of his people. And now they're being called on to look back in history, to behold the works of the Lord. He has risen up, fiercely protective of his people. He has led them out. He has kept them protected under the palm of his hand. He has made desolations in the earth on their behalf. And he has given them peace up to this point in time. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. You see, they're saying, you see these armies marching against us. Well, remember who it is that makes peace. The Lord makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in fire. The power and the rage of the whole world, of the devil himself, might be coming against us. And yet it's this Lord who is working and this Lord who is fighting on our behalf. Recognizing the one who has this authority, the one who holds all of our days in the palm of his hand, the one who knows the end of our days. The general Stonewall Jackson said this, One of his captains asked him, how can you be brave in the face of all of this? How can you stand firm? He said, my religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself with that, but to be always ready whenever it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live. Though I may not survive this encounter, he's saying, I know where I go. I know that God is in control. I know that God has fixed the hour of my death as well. And I rest in his care. No matter what may happen, because he is the Lord. He is the one who has given us a covenant relationship. It's like Job said, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Because he has given me his name. 
This might be true for the Old Testament people of God, but for us, is it still true for us today? Jesus Christ is the one to whom all of those Old Testament sacrifices pointed forward to. Jesus Christ, as he was hanging on the cross to atone for our sins. Jesus Christ, from whose side poured a river of blood. There is a river. There is a river for us today. His name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This was the reason for which he came to earth, to purchase for himself a people by his own blood and to bring glory to God. There is a river in Emmanuel who is God with us. Like the old hymn says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. This Lord, this God of the covenant has laid claim for himself a people. And he works on their behalf and he fights on their behalf. And so... Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. What's our purpose on this earth? In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer one, they have a beautiful response to that question. What is the chief end of man? to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Our Lord will carry out his purpose in this world. And he will glorify his name through his people. He will take those who are Jacob, caught in their sin. He'll transform them through their lives. He has claimed them as his own. And he will glorify his name through them. His name as one who transforms and one who redeems his people. Looking forward to that final day, he will glorify himself through bringing us spotless before his throne of judgment and taking us to himself in the hour of our death for all who look to Jesus Christ. Because there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Beloved, the Lord of hosts is with us. 
The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen.